The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change and shift your business paradigm. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn for insights on emerging trends that could impact the future of your business. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the innovative business leaders of today. Now, here's your host, Nancy Lynn. Hello, this is Nancy Lynn at the Business Reinvention Show. I'm glad you could join me today for another great discussion. Every week, we bring you thought-provoking ideas from a different industry so that you can connect the dots and stay innovative and competitive. Well, if you're looking for opportunities to innovate, look no further than the healthcare industry because it poses one of the biggest challenges for this country. According to the Social Security Administration, the U.S. national average wage increased only about 500% or fivefold uh, between 1975 and 2013. On the other hand, the median monthly cost for new cancer drugs has risen 77-fold or 7,700% during the same period. So we're talking about five-time increase in wage compared to 77-time increase in cancer drug cost. And that is a huge difference. And I think that difference really underscores the fact that the U.S. healthcare system is reaching a breaking point. In fact, um, CVS, the drugstore chain, expects new drugs this year to be the highest selling class of medication in history, with annual sales as high as $150 billion. And that is with a B. $150 billion? equal to about, um, I would say, half of all current U.S. drug spending. So just thinking about that makes my heart sink. I mean, granted, a lot of new drugs are far more potent than ever before, but are we getting to the point where great medicine will be out of reach for most Americans? Well, under pressure from drug benefits management, um, drug benefits management companies to reduce prices, the pharmaceutical company is, um, or the industry in general, is uh, facing revenue losses um, due to patent expiration at the same time. So finding new ways to speed up and reduce costs of clinical trials is critical to the industry. And that's the focus of today's program. Joining me for the discussion are three pioneers in this area. Uh, first, let me introduce the team from the Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative, also known as City. We have Pamela Tenart, Executive Director of the organization, and her colleague, Bray Patrick Lake, Director of Stakeholder Engagement at City. Also with us today is John Reese, Senior Director for Health Engagement at Quintiles. Pam, Bray, and John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's Thanks, great Kathy. having you. Um, well, I think before we dive in, uh, it might be helpful to um, give the audience a framework for our discussion today. 
by explaining what a typical clinical trial process looks like. Um, I'm sure a lot of people in the audience would like to understand why the drug development process is so expensive. Um, Pam, can you give us a quick snapshot of the process? Uh, Sure, Nancy, and thanks again for inviting us to this uh, exciting program. So clinical, uh, getting a drug developed to the point where the FDA can look at data and approve a drug or, or say it's not quite there yet, a lot of things need to happen. First of all, there need to be molecules identified that have certain targets that reach back to diseases. And then when that process is done and the safety um, is established in a laboratory, people can take those drugs to to humans. And first of all, phase one studies are being done in healthy volunteers typically just to make sure that they're safe. Those are mostly safety oriented. Um, If they make it through that process, they go into a phase two uh, set where there's still safety being looked at, but also efficacy. And the numbers start increasing as far as the number of patients that they need to look at. So in phase one, you're talking about usually less than 100 patients. Phase two is probably two to 300 patients on average. And there you're doing trials to make sure that your drug is still safe in patients that now have the disease and that you start seeing trends for efficacy, that you start seeing that your drug is actually working. And when drugs make it that far, a lot of them don't, which is part of the cost, obviously, that you, dev- that you work on drugs that eventually don't make it. A lot of them don't make that cutoff. Then you go to phase three, where you really do the trial that shows how the, that the drug works for, with an intended purpose, that it helps the disease, decreases symptoms or whatever the intended pers- purpose is of that drug or device. Those trials are much bigger because you need to be absolutely sure of safety and of efficacy. And so then when those trials are done, Again, they don't all make it, and it all starts factoring back into the cost of drug development. That data goes to the FDA, who makes a decision as to whether to approve it for use in the, with the American public. And depending on how fast that, that process went, there are some accelerated pathways that can happen. There may need to be some data collection at the end. So it's a very thorough process that involves a lot of people, a lot of patients, and the part of the cost that gets that gets it to make it so expensive is that not everything that you start off with actually makes it to the end point where the FDA can look at data. Well, wow. sounds like a very elaborate process and a lot of modification during the process. Um, so, John, do you know how long the process usually take and what's the average cost for a drug development these days? Yeah, thanks, Nancy, and thanks for having me today. We're really uh, excited about the topic because there there is a lot of innovation in this area, and it, it does start with this inherent question around the clinical trial process. Uh, if you look at the process overall, you know, a thing to keep in mind is that we're not just looking at um, the sort of the way that the drug is developed with the patient that, that also impacts getting approval for a drug, but you're actually looking at uh, the fact that a patient needs to stay on an investigational product for a long period of time. In other words, to get real efficacy and safety data out, the length of participation is really important, hence why uh, trials can take a long time uh, because you uh, need to be able to study and research with that patient over a period of time, not just you know, two months and then moving forward. So as, you know, as, as Pam mentioned before, uh, the longevity of once you get a patient enrolled, keeping them in, keeping them engaged, collecting data from them over the long term uh, is really one of the drivers for cost, but also the driver for getting uh, really equitable data that helps uh, you know, our uh, pharma customers and, and the industry at large make uh, good decisions about how products move forward and get approval with different agencies. 
Okay, so just to give audience um, some points of reference, I read it somewhere that on average it takes about 13 years to do drug development and something like $1.8 billion. Um, Does that sound? There's new numbers that came out just Uh a bit ago from the Tuft Center, and their average estimate is $2.6 billion, and most of the cost is actually in the phase three development. So that is the piece of it that costs the most. Because you need more patients and, as John mentioned, longer periods of time. Yeah, well, that is a lot of money right there. And, and, and that, again, goes back to the point that we do have a challenge in front of us. But at the same time, it's really exciting to know we now have an organization like Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative that's looking at ways to improve the process. Um, some of the audience may not be familiar with the organization. So, Pam, can you give us an overview of how it came about, your mission, and the people behind that? Uh, sure. So, um Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative was started in 2007, and the, the reasons why it started then are still relevant today. So clinical startup tri- uh, trial startup times were lengthening, enrollment was slowing, and costs are increasing. And in addition, investigators are pulling out of research, so we, we have a hard time keeping our pool of people that can actually run these trials active in the United States. And um, a lot of research was actually moving outside of the U.S. At the same time, there really is an increasing need for evidence that we have as a society. So we need to evaluate, we need to have the ability to evaluate new devices, drugs, and biologics, and determine what the best medical practices are, and also compare effectiveness of things that are already out there to make sure we're using the best possible therapies for our patients. So what happened is, Uh, The Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative was initiated, and it's a public-private partnership between Duke University and the FDA that is hosted by uh, Duke University. And um, our mission is to identify and promote practices that will increase quality and efficiency of clinical trials. So we're really focusing on that clinical trial piece and trying to make do research on clinical research to make it more efficient and better. And we do that um, by involving all the stakeholders. So it's been critical to our success and some of the recommendations that we've come out is that we really involve everyone. We're not just talking to industry or the academic people that are creating trials or the NIH or FDA. It's everybody, including institutional review boards that are committees that look at research to make sure it's it's ethically framed and the integrity of the trial is done and the science is, is necessary, and patients as well. So we involve everybody. It's one of those things where when everybody's part of the solution, you get much better ways of improving things. Yeah, well said. Um, so, Bray, what are your top two priorities at this point? So, um, thank you, Nancy, for having me. First, I'd like to say I come to this work um, from the patient advocacy background and really from my own personal experience as a patient in the clinical trial that was aborted for low and slow enrollment. And so, bringing those experiences to the work now, um, absolute priorities are maximizing patient group and participant engagement in research because we can together design a much better clinical trial. And I think patients are very frustrated with a lot of the um, bureaucracy and inefficiencies in the system and just the waste of resources in general because we would like to have um, access to more innovative and novel products and certainly at a more rapid pace than we're seeing um, products move through the pipeline in this country. Well, you know, part of me kind of, 
feels like, well, it's surprising that this approach, um, which has been widely used by other industries, is a new concept for pharmaceutical companies. It's kind of ironic because um, the pharmaceutical industry has discovered some incredibly innovative drugs, and yet it sounds like they could be very conservative and behind the curve on the other hand. So I'm curious as to what some of the challenges you have run into when you try to advocate this approach. The challenges are that we're we're approaching this backwards. It's been likened to driving a car down a road backwards instead of taking a user-centered approach and starting with working with the patient community to really understand what are the unmet needs. And if we develop this new product, is it going to improve life to such a degree that we're willing to accept whatever risks may also be introduced with some new therapy? Um, certainly working through clinical trial design to say whether a study is feasible, and that means what's the burden of the study on the patient, how many study visits do they have to come to, do they have to undergo procedures, Um, is it invasive, are there things that will um, have an effect on their life, like having to take off work to participate, and there are so many things that patients can tell us about the drug development process that we often just leave completely out of the equation, and it makes absolutely no sense. And so I feel like we're at that moment in clinical trials where a lot of what we need to do to streamline is just putting the common sense and putting the patient back in the center of everything. Well, it sounds very timely because, as uh, Pam mentioned, uh, one of the challenges that the industry faces is that uh, the patient enrollment is slowing. Um, so I think getting that input and try to maybe modify the approach may might address some of that issue. Um, John, we need to take a break, but when we come back, I'd love to hear about your experience in this area as well. Um, It's time for a commercial break. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin for up-to-date business and innovation trends. Go to bizreinvention.com or follow me on Twitter at bizreinvention. We'll talk some more about clinical trials innovation after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, back to Business Reinvention. Well, John, before the break, uh, we started talking about patient-centric approach. Um, I know that you've also done some work in this area. Um, what are your thoughts about this um, new focus on patients? Yeah, patient-centric is, a, is just a, it's a great concept, and we're seeing it really come alive. We're seeing something move from an idea to action in the industry. And similar to what was mentioned before, you know, part of my personal story is that I, I too, actually am a clinical trial dropout. Um, I dropped out of a clinical trial that I really wanted to participate in that was for a condition I was very passionate about. And the reality is is that the design of the study, the way that the provider worked with me to engage me and involve me and collect data from me actually didn't work for my personal life. And so not because I wanted to, but because I had to, I ended up dropping out of that study. And what really uh, when that happened about six years ago, what really sort of changed in the persona was at the same time Quintiles was making some really innovative strides in being patient-centric. Uh, and so around 2006, we started uh, our first patient community called Mediguard. Mediguard.org. And soon after, we started another patient community called clinicalresearch.com. And fast forward to today, those communities partnered with some other communities we have amount to about 3.5 million uh, patients in seven countries that enroll in these communities. And these patients represent um, a lot of work that we've done with engaging and being patient-centric from everything from designing studies by getting their input and putting that into protocol and schedule event design to actually doing um, observational research directly with these patients who may or may not see a provider and also helping to take uh, these patients and match them with clinical trials and other opportunities that they may be looking for but really don't know how to get connected to it. So for us, patient-centric is, a, is really um, not about thinking about the patient. It's really thinking like the patient. It's putting yourself um, in the patient's shoes because we, a lot of us are patients, and a lot of us are related to patients. And so we really feel strongly at Quintiles that when we put ourselves in the position to think like the patient and to be the patient, that we develop better approaches, better models for data collection, and also um, we create a better experience so that patients um, want to be involved in the research and want to continue collecting and providing data, not just because it's helping the study reach its goal, but because it's also helping the patient in their journey on their condition. Okay, so I think we're touching on the question of patient enrollment in nutrition, and you touch on some key points, but I'd like to get more specific examples from you and, and, and Bray as well, um, in terms of, again, patient enrollment in nutrition, which has been very costly and time-consuming. So what specific programs um, ha- have been done uh, to change that? Um, John, why don't we start with you again first? Sure. 
you know, I'd start with that patient recruitment um, has really come a long way when you think about the connected digital patient, that we have patients online connected to communities and looking for health opportunities like we've never had before. And if you look at the Pew Research that, that we use as a baseline over the uh, years and you look at the amount of people that are actively searching for health information, that number continues to grow year on year, month on month. And it's also not being, um, uh, it's not being restricted by age or demographic or location. We're, you know, so the old stereotypes of who's online and who's an active, healthy population or actively looking for research, um, that's really changed over the last five years. And so the, um, what that does is that impacts the way we recruit studies. So two examples of some things we're doing. One is we're uh, leveraging our patient communities where we have patients consented um, and they provide us with information about themselves, and they also opt in and consent in advance to be um, matched up with clinical trials, and that's been a really good catalyst for us. And we use some of the same principles when we reach out to different digital outreach channels, everything from social networks to um, other partner communities and to broader advertising efforts that we do in the uh, online market. Well, I would imagine that it's really helpful, especially in the age of globalization and going back to the point that Pam mentioned that more and more um, clinical trials are being done in other countries. So I would think with digital outreach, that really helps uh, kind of shorten that distance. Um, well, I want to go back to you, Bray, as well, because I know this is also an area you work on. Um, what are other specific programs that we have done, like after you got more input from the patients to modify your approach? What are some of the changes that the industry really has done to eliminate um, attrition, for example? Well, I think it's a larger issue than just the attrition piece. So industry is at the, the point of being open to understanding that um, you know, greater engagement with the patient community brings benefit to them and that together we create better clinical trials. But there's still been a gap in um, understanding and knowledge of how to best form partnerships with patient groups. And so City in particular has had a project that is developing best practices for engaging with patient groups around clinical trials. And we're um, at the end of this exciting work, and we've got some recommendations to bring forward shortly. Um, and then there's another issue that's really that all of us own in this society and in this country, and that's that we have not uh, raised awareness about the benefits of participating in research or done a good job of educating um, patients and public about how products reach the shelves in this country and um, what all of the evidence means and how healthcare decisions are made and the fact that it's all based on evidence. And um, some patient advocates are even saying, you know, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink because there's all of this data and we can't make sense of it. And we really need to understand that we all need to be part of a learning health system or a clinical trial if we're to bring evidence forward. And as I would say, if patients like you aren't in research, then results of research aren't going to apply to patients like you. So we really all need to pull together and do our job. Very, very true. Um, John, so if you look at um, what you're doing at Quintiles um, and looking back 10 years, what do you think we're now doing differently today um, than, say, 10 years ago to help accelerate clinical trials and reduce costs besides the programs that you had already mentioned? And what do you think um, the change um, is the single most impactful change um, to this day? Yeah, lots changed in 10 years. Um, you know, I've been in the industry at Quintiles for nearly 13, and, and I remember back almost 10 years ago, we were collecting data on paper forms. And so if you fast forward today, even sort of the practical application of being in a, a, 
uh, a physician's office. Uh, you know, they're collecting data in EMRs, electronic medical records, in an, in an office. Um, you know, uh, today, uh, 10 years ago, people didn't have iPhones, and they didn't, weren't able to text back data or fill things out mobily. So if you just look at just all the advances from a technology perspective, I think that's our, the industry's ability to leverage the technologies that exist and to put them into sort of the, the common practice of clinical trials and clinical research at large has really been the big thing that's moved forward. You know, for me, when I, when I think about, you know, what's really progressed, um, you know, aside from the digitally engaged patients, so people who are engaged and want to be involved in research, um, their ability to provide data passively is really what I think is, is uh, really moving forward, meaning that as people are connected with devices um, and data collection is sort of a norm for consumers. You know, I shop at Target and I shop at different locations, and they're always asking me for data, and it's just a passive part of my life. Um, and so when I'm providing this, that's actually data points. Um, and so people, consumers, are getting more used to um, contributing data and being a part of research um, in their consumer life. And I really do think there's a convergence that's, that's coming and it's on the way now and we're seeing it in research we're doing today where the consumers are the patients and they're providing research through biosensors, through direct-to-patient labs, so labs they take at home, to um, digital connections to their EMR or data, meaning they don't have to go to a provider and ask for it. You um, capture that and collect it on the back end so the, the patient doesn't have to do work, they just have the data. So really making things easy. And then I tell you that the second thing is really being able to provide that information back to patients, back to providers in a meaningful way, meaning it's not just here's a, here's a load of data, but actually here's, a, here's what the data means. Here's the analytics behind it. You know, so using some of our you know, specialists from epidemiologists to scientific affairs, so the, the, you know, really um, using the insights, using that data to help make decisions, to help move things forward, and to help um, you know, uh, move a study in a different direction if that's needed. Yeah, and I'm sure when you make data meaningful, then you will also um, increase engagement of the patient as well. Do you feel like we're at that point already, or do you feel like that's an area we need to work on further um, as we go forward in terms of making data, making sense of data? Yeah, John. I think it's always an area. I think it's always an area we need to work on. And and frankly, we've made great strides. And I was actually in a meeting this morning and saw some data visualizations the team did for connecting a patient's data with their biosensor data and with the EMR data. And it's amazing. And, and but it's still new. I think there's a lot of progression in this area. But as you think about where the industry is going, especially direct to patient, where we're collecting, you know, so many bytes of data. You know, if you think about a biosensor, we're collecting a millisecond of data. That's more data than you can really imagine in your mind. It's really something a computer has to process. And so, being able to make sense of that, put it in an analytical model, um, I think will continue to get better and better. But we're definitely making strides and changing, I think, the perception of the industry, that it's not to audit the individual data fields we're collecting. It's to let the the IT analyze the data and then make a decision based on the data that's analyzed. Hmm. Pam, I also want to get your comments on this. What are your thoughts on mobile technology, which has come out with a whole bunch of new products and nowadays smartphones uh, or smartwatch um, is also a really hot topic. Um, what do you think about the impact of mobile technology? Um, what are the limitations or what, what do you think the potential would be? Well, I think mobile 
technologies have a huge potential in clinical trials. Um, I think there are a different couple of things we need to think about when we want to start implementing it. Uh, there are a lot of regulatory and legal legislative issues that need to be understood and overcome uh, before we can use some of that. And maybe some of it is, is perception that it can't be done and we need to make clear that it can be done. So that is one area. Another area is sort of dealing with the technological and scientific uh, implications of getting all this data, as John was alluding to, because instead of having, uh, for example, in a in a patient that has mobility disorders, typically in a clinical trial, you would do a six-minute walk test every time they come in for a follow-up visit, which might be once a month. So those are potentially 12 data points over a year, so to speak. If now you put a sensor device on them, an accelerometer, you would get data 24-7, and how do you turn that into an endpoint that's meaningful? What of that data are artifacts? Is it all true? How do you deal with it? So that's a, a whole set of new things we need to consider and sort of bring some parameters around. And then the third one is, is patient and stakeholder acceptance. What does that do to patients that are in a clinical trial? What does that do to a physician who's now monitoring a patient that potentially doesn't have to come in as much? And how do you deal with what potentially could be adverse ev events in a clinical trial that you need to monitor? So there are some, some things that still need to be thought out or explained or at least made clear. And we've actually started a project on this because we do think there's a lot of potential uh, and especially in the areas of actually capturing physiological data and then also allowing patients to maybe not have to come into the doctor's office quite as much. Very, very interesting points. All right. Um, let's talk about some more about um, these um, area. You're listening to Business Reinvention. We'll talk some more after the break. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email nancylin at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, back to Business Reinvention. All right, so before the break, we start talking about um, digital and mobile technology. So why don't we just continue on um, with that discussion? Um, John, what do you think about Apple's Research Kit, um, which is a new iOS software framework that lets people volunteer to join medical research studies? It sounds like that's something that you're doing already. Uh, does Apple's new um, framework provide any additional opportunities for the future? Yeah, there's t- two things about the release of Research Kit that I think are exciting for the industry. So one is is um, Apple coming up out with something called Research Kit is providing a consumer approach and really some great PR for clinical research overall. So I don't know if you've seen, but the video they released in the um, keynote speech was actually of a patient going through a clinical research, and I think that that's just fantastic because like we talked about earlier, part of being in research and part of our industry moving forward is better education about research and it being a a, you know, a legitimate scientific-based process that people, consumers, can participate in. And so thing number one is I think that was a great propeller for, um, for what's to come in the industry. And second is, as you look at Research Kit as a framework, um, there's still a little bit that's known on it. The official specs and API and other variables about Research Kit actually don't come out until later in April. And so a lot of developers and, and, and organizations will be able to look more deeply into that. I think what it does, though, is, is that it's substantiating the fact that um, other consumer-based companies are seeing the patient-centric approach really moving forward in the industry, and they're trying to come up with technology ways to help um, facilitate or help open up their, their, their consumers, their customers, to participate in these events. So, you know, from that perspective, I'm, I'm excited about where it goes. It, it brings um, additional validity to a lot of the work that we're doing and a lot of the work that the industry is trying to move into from a patient-centric perspective. Bray, do you have any comments on that? Um, I do. I think it's a very exciting time, and um, patients do want to participate, and they do want to provide data, but we also want to get answers back. And I think what we're struggling with right now is technology is developing at a very rapid rate, and we need methods and systems to actually collect this evidence and analyze it in a dependable and meaningful way. And so... In clinical trials, we, we have to be very careful to compare apples to apples and to make sure that we do things with scientific rigor. And there are um, numerous study designs that we won't get into in the show because it's just too technical. But um, 
you know, we, we struggle with making sure that we've done something in a scientifically rigorous manner in a population that we would call with research generalizable. And that means that you can interpret and apply to um, a certain population that's usually identified on the label of a product per se. But we have to be very cautious in performing science that might be soft science or not comparing apples to apples. And there are some basic challenges with that. So if everybody in America grabs Apple Research Kit and we all start uploading our blood pressure, let's say some people do it one time a day and some people do it five times a day. But when we design that study, which data point do you use? Do you use Mm -hmm. just you know, one time a day or does it matter or people's blood pressure is different in the morning or the evening and will that affect the answer of a scientific question? And in some cases, we have to be extremely careful because giving patients no answers um, is, you know, just as bad as giving them a wrong answer or I should flip-flop that and say giving them a wrong answer can be more harmful than giving them no answers. And so um, we're really struggling right now because everybody has data, but patients are in online groups trying to interpret the this themselves, and we really need to make sure that the research community is engaged, our statisticians and our implementations are engaged in helping us process this information and, and being certain. You've probably seen over the past few years, somebody will put something you know, out on the Internet, coffee cures cancer, and the next day you see coffee causes cancer. And, you know, we have to be, um, I guess, just operate, you know, with the highest level of integrity as we move forward and really work to structure data capture and how we're actually going to process it and respond to it. Mm, yeah, there are definitely a lot of details in implementation, and it's not just a matter of uh, technology. Um, now, I wanted to move on to a different topic, because uh, there's also a lot of rethinking about the way we design our clinical trial. Um, and one thing that people are looking at is the site model. Um, right now, a lot of clinical trials are done at doctor's offices, and that's what we call the site model. Uh, but new ideas are being developed to disrupt the current model. Um, for example, I know Walgreens had participated in the pilot program, and that used their pharmacies instead of doctor's offices for this. Um, do we know if the approach had resulted in savings or reduction of cycle time um, and uh, is this something we will see more of um, going forward, Bray? Um, I can't speak to the data. Uh, John is probably better aware of anything that's validated this method. But I think, you know, from the patient perspective, expanding access and opportunity to participate in research is incredibly important. We do know that a lot of clinical trials in this country are operated at academic medical centers or, you know, high-volume hospitals that are usually not in rural areas and certainly not in, you know, perhaps... Um, neighborhoods with socioeconomic challenges, and so we really want to make sure that research is available and evidence is available to all in this country. And so I think something like going through Walgreens or um, other pharmacy-type models is really exciting as far as opportunities to participate in expanding reach and making sure we have a population that looks like what the population of our country um, actually is reflective of, but John can speak better to probably the actual model itself. Mm, John. Yeah, and actually, I, I don't have the data for that either, but what I would say is when you look at our industry as a whole and as we're shifting and trying to what we say is reduced patient and site burden, we're trying to take off the administrative work so that sites can do more studies, they can be more focused on the scientific questions, 
that the provider or the physician can work directly with a patient in face-to-face on the things that really need to be done face-to-face because there still are a lot of elements to protocols that require that. Everything can't necessarily be done on a phone and can't all be self-reported as well. There's a lot of other variables that make um, a study uh, correct and provide the right data for it. And what I would say is that where we see the shift happening is providing uh, patient engagement tools, content and value you provide to patients, and then leveraging technology to help reduce the administrative burden to make the data collection more passive and just to provide back results of what's happening so that the whether it's a patient or a caregiver or a physician doesn't have to go through reams of data and ask reams of administrative questions. They can just focus on the most important things that need to happen face-to-face. And mm-hmm. I, I think there's a real shift in that, in that providers and physicians are embracing that. There's, there's lots of stories of them trying to do that within their own practices. And when Quintiles works with, um, you know, a global a group of investigational sites in a clinical trial, um, our, one of our key jobs is to support them as, as one of the key stakeholders in the process and to provide them with tools and, and, and data and analytics and support that helps them to run that trial as effectively and as efficiently as they can, but also helps them to create a great experience from the physician to the patient so that that physician um, is even more successful and that the experience the patient has going to their doctor's office or doing something at home is enhanced and also looks like it's coming from the same source. In other words, you don't, you don't have, you know, multiple sources of information coming to patients. Uh, you know, I'm a patient. I'm seeing Dr. Smith. I'm in the STAR study. And when I'm in the STAR study, if I'm getting an email or a text or if I'm using a mobile app, or if I'm going into a visit to meet with a research coordinator, I want to hear that I'm seeing Dr. Smith and I'm in the STAR study. I don't want to hear a bunch of company names. So I think white labeling and integrating these solutions together is becoming really important as we move forward to really enhance the experience, but also to make the data collection and the experience uh, much more efficient. Yeah, it's really good to see the industry try to make, like you were saying, the user experience um, better, mo- removing uh, some of the key pain points uh, for people participating in it. And, le- and going back to what Bray said, I think this whole pilot program also makes, um, I guess, the clinical trials a lot more accessible. And I think ultimately that will improve the engagement and probably reduce attrition uh, over time as well. So it's a very interesting project, I thought. Um, well, another thing that people are working on is really the overall design of clinical trials. Um, some in the industry have come to realize that classically structured clinical trial does not offer enough flexibility in sense of um, in terms of kind of making use of continuously emerging knowledge that is generated um, throughout the trial. Um, and there have been discussions about new approaches such as adaptive design or the idea of precision. Uh, medicine. Um, and Pam, I'm curious, does either this idea or, or maybe other concepts that I, I did not mention that you think might make a big difference in terms of how we design the clinical trials and ultimately reduce cost or risk? I'm sure. So complexity of clinical trials, I think I'm going to answer this in a couple of ways, but complexity of clinical trials based on their designs is obviously a big reason why some of these clinical trials are so expensive and why things take so long. Because if you do something more complex, that obviously takes longer than something that's a little more simple. So with with the Clinical Trial Transformation Initiative, we actually have done a project where we're trying to help companies and, and creators, that people that make clinical trials, that design them, 
think better about what it is they want to accomplish. Make sure we have the right research question. Make sure we then answer that question as cleanly as possible without adding too many complex other things on top because they usually don't add to the answer. And uh, again, the Tufts Center has done research that 25% of procedures in clinical trials do not give data towards an endpoint or towards safety. So then you wonder, why are we even doing this? So the clinical trial industry has been very good about creating this this monster that has more and more procedures in it that basically at some point are not needed and are never used in the submission. So that is one aspect of, of changing clinical trials and really trying to make people understand that if you bring together all the stakeholders when you design a trial, as Bray was mentioning, bring in the patients from the beginning. Make sure the trial interests the patients. Make sure you have your inclusion-exclusion criteria reflect the population who eventually will benefit from this treatment, and, and on and on and on. So making sure that, that you bring in all the voices that participate. Make sure that you focus on the things that are essential to your trial and actually eliminate the things that are not so that people don't make errors that will matter in the end to the data. You don't want to have errors that matter to the data. And really to create this environment where people can critically think um, and everybody can cl- critically think about quality. Um, when you mentioned adaptive designs, uh, in clinical trials, we often find that we use the same words. We don't always mean the same thing when we say them. There's a lot of semantics we have to sort of align and make sure we're all talking about the same things. So adaptive designs have been used for a different way of analyzing clinical trials and sort of being adaptive in how you set up your trial and doing the statistical analysis of it. Other people use adaptive designs when they describe things like a master protocol. Now, I want to spend a minute on sort of this concept of a master protocol. Currently, what we do in clinical trials is every company, basically, pharma company, device company, sets up their own little trial, and then when the trial is done, the whole everything gets dismantled, and the next company that does a trial in the same area has to start up from scratch again. In a master protocol, and the lung map protocol that was created with the help of Friends of Cancer Research is, is a tremendous vehicle where in lung cancer, different sites are participating in this one protocol where patients are um, screened based on their genetic mutations of their tumors and then assigned to arms of a trial with a medication that works on that particular cancer. So what that does is patients are being screened and instead of only being eligible for one one potential treatment, they are now eligible for potentially different ones because the, all the treatments are being considered in this one, one trial and it's sort of a plug and play so that when then one arm is finished with enrollment, potentially another group could come in and put in their drug so that the patients are assigned to the drug that most likely is going to help them. And what that does is it creates an infrastructure that multiple people can work off it uh, increases the start, it, it makes the startup times much faster. And it really also benefits the patient because if their physician had only been participating in one trial with one drug and their genetic um, makeup of the tumor did not make them a candidate for that trial, they were done. They couldn't be in another trial because that physician wasn't doing another trial. Mm-hmm. And now they're really sort of given an opportunity to participate in five trials at once, so to speak, and be option, have an option of going into the trial that fits them best. So you kind of 
increase your recruitment percentage from the patients that you're screening. I think those those developments are very, very exciting. And iSpy was another trial that was done in, in cancer. Okay, hold, um, so hold that thought because uh, it's time for another break. Um, but I want to get some of your comments um, after the break. Um, you're listening to Business Reinvention. We'll be back in two minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern for our special series on Industry Cloud Trends. Join us to learn about the next wave of industry-specific solutions moving into the cloud. Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Do you know how to tell a great story? In business, the stories you tell play a big role in your success. Whether you're trying to get more clients or influence people as a leader, storytelling will help you do it. Story Powered with Leanne Pico is here to help you activate your storytelling superpower to build a better business and achieve your goals and dreams. Story Powered can be heard live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, back to Business Reinvention. All right, so 
Ray, before the break, we were talking about、um, different ways of designing the clinical trials. I want to get you the opportunity to kind of share your thoughts as well. Any comments? Well, I think、um, yeah, the, the master protocol is incredibly important. So, as a patient, you're focused on your your care and trying to you know find answers for yourself, and you don't have time to go and shop around and figure out who's doing which study. So, if you've already been screened and somebody's got your data and they can help you match it to a trial, we don't know enough to know which company does the best trial. We're just seeking you know the maximum benefit for ourselves, and so、um, I think it's a brilliant way to to not waste patient participation.、Um, Health Center for Study of Drug Development actually had some interesting data that showed that if many patients, I think it was more than half, if they knocked on the door and asked to be part of the trial and they screened out, meaning they didn't meet the inclusion exclusion criteria, they weren't enrolled in the trial, that they didn't knock on that door again. And that's just silly. We really should be、um, making sure that patients who are interested in participating in research and、um, seeking clinical trials get connected as soon as possible. And、um, if it's not, you know, if the door they knock on doesn't open, then we have a responsibility. Um, as in a clinical trials enterprise, to make sure that they do get connected to something that's useful. Great. Okay. So it looks like we only have time for one more question.、Um, so looking forward,、um, if there's one thing that you could have more of, or maybe things that you would like to see more of to help inspire innovation that's affordable, especially for the drug development process, what would that be? John, I'll let you start first. Sure. Yeah. For me, I think it's the perception perception shift in our industry. I think when we, like we've been talking about today, when we shift our perception to the fact that we know that these technologies, these direct to patient approaches, these patient engagement and patient centric concepts are here,、um, it forces us and it enables us to really think about what can I do in the studies I'm working on to incorporate these、uh, approaches, to incorporate this mentality. And so when the when those approaches happen, and when we、uh, incorporate them because the perceptions change, we don't sort of fight the industry against them. That makes sense. The the industry doesn't fight to it or say prove how this works. It actually would open up innovation and let us be um, somewhat um, freer to fail in some particular areas as we test a new concept or we you know、um, provide a, a a particular app or tool to a patient. In a particular cohort, so I really think that as we move forward, one of the areas that I want to see, and I think would be great, is is as perception changes, as people start to see, hey, this patient engagement, patient centric approach、um, is really where I want to be.、Um, early adopters and and the ability to let some of these technologies and new approaches in, I think, will be a lot smoother and will go a lot faster. And really, remember that the the net result of all this work is is quality and being able to retain patients. Because retaining the patients in the study and getting the quality data we need is what actually helps power the scientific validity we put around the research to begin with. And so we want that perception shift to really enable us to get higher quality, to reduce expense where we can,、um, but also to retain patients and engage them in a way that we haven't maybe been able to do in the past. Okay, Pam, we have forty five seconds. So I would say that I would like to see the public become more engaged in clinical trials and realize that when they participate in trials, that means that those treatments are more applicable to them and more generalizable to them. And then also make a plea for more physicians to get involved in clinical trials so that we can create a workforce and a, a pool where we can trial do all the trials that we need to do to get the answers we need to get to better treatments for patients. Very important points,、um, Ray. 
Well, yeah, I think um, just putting the patients back at the center of everything and really focusing on that user-centered design is the best thing we can do in this country right now for patients. Well, I've learned a great deal from all of you today. It's really exciting to know that in the industry is really working hard to improve the drug development process. Thank you to all of you for being here today. Thanks, Nancy. Appreciate you having us. Thank you. Thank you. And I also want to say thanks to our audience from around the world today. Please join me again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time or download our podcast so you can listen to the show on the go. Feel free to tweet me your comments at BizWeInvention and let's keep innovation alive and accessible to everyone. Hope to talk to you again next week. Take care. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In the meantime, follow Nancy on Twitter at BizReinvention to keep up on the innovation trends and information about our next show. Or go to BizReinvention.com for more business insights. That's B-I-Z-Reinvention.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.